Board Intelligence is a leading provider of business reporting software. More than 3,000 organizations and 40,000 leaders use our board portal and our AI-powered management reporting tool, Lucia, to unleash board performance and collective intelligence. Find out how we can help your organization at boardintelligence.com. In today's podcast, I'm talking to Jennifer Sundberg, co-CEO of Board Intelligence, about what her organization refers to as collective intelligence. Jen, it's great to be speaking to you today. Perhaps you could start by telling us a bit more about your background and your work with governance professionals. Absolutely. And thank you very much for inviting me on. So uh, for the last just over 15 years, I think it must be by now, I've been co-leading board intelligence together with Pippa Begg, mm-hmm. who many of your listeners may may know. And through much of that time, our work has been, as our name suggests, our work has been with boards, helping boards mm-hmm. to operate at full pelt. So have more of the conversations that really matter and take better decisions and faster off the back mm-hmm. of that. And before we met, before Pippa and I joined forces, we each had separate experiences of working with boards. Mm-hmm. And there was one in particular that really shaped me, which was mm. working with a board of really great people, mm. but throw them together in the room, call it a board meeting, and something would go strangely wrong. I was there as a strategy consultant. I didn't claim to know any more than the next person about how to run a board or why what I was seeing was happening. Mm. But it got me interested. Mm. It got me curious. I wanted to get into the skin of this to understand how do you help a group of people even really great people to be more than the sum of the parts yeah and that was a similar experience that Pippa had as well and over the years we've gone on to work together join forces to try to really crack that and Mm. over the last 15 plus years we've developed a playbook that underpins what we now do and how we do it and we now sell that playbook combined with a set of technology products that help to support its implementation and we've got about I think just over 3,000 boards we support and today 30,000 plus directors. And how do you work with governance professionals in that area? Sure. So um, governance professionals uh, engage us to help apply our playbook to their boards, either uh, the work that we do around making sure board members have the right tools for the job in the form of really effective board packs, making sure that the content mm. itself is really up to scratch. Mm-hmm. Um, we often think about uh, you know, a, a board member like any you know, top grade sports person needs the they need the tools for the job right so mm. you wouldn't put your top racing car driver in a in a in a low grade car you wouldn't put your top you wouldn't put Frankie Dettori on a lame horse and <laughs> if you've got a really great board of directors you've got to also equip them with again like top grade tools which in this case is the, the information that flows into the boardroom so you know the, a, a board is there to formulate their their judgments around the information they're provided with but mm-hmm. you know they're not there they're not clairvoyance so making sure that the information flow is really up to scratch so that's one of the things that we do for, with governance professionals is helping to really get the information flows right and the other thing that we supply is a mm-hmm. board portal which mm-hmm. helps with the secure and efficient distribution of those board papers okay that's that's really interesting and so that's a lot about boards and how they operate in boardroom intelligence but what we're here to talk about today is collective intelligence so why are we talking about that Rachel that's right so over time we came to realize that board level decisions were just the tip of the iceberg mm. for every decision made in the boardroom obviously many many more are taken outside of it mm-hmm. and what we came to appreciate is that the most successful organizations are the ones whose decision making center of gravity is actually closest to the front line. Now your okay. members will understand as well that boards have very limited time 
in which to transact an enormous brief. One of our clients, a FTSE 100 non-exec said, I, I feel like I need a horizontal board agenda for all of my many <laughs> number one priorities. Mm. There is just too much to do. So if all the important decisions have to roll up to the board, you just won't be able to move fast enough and get enough done. And I think whilst we felt mm. hugely proud of the work that we did with boards, helping them to really punch above their weight and, and mm. operate at full pelt, it's, it's not enough. John Thompson takes us even further. So the, the you know, John Thompson of the, the shoe and uh, key mm. and repair chain. Yes. Uh, you know, I remember we pitched to him once many years ago, mm. sitting in our old offices and mm. uh, <laughs> and I were trying to you know, persuade him that he really needed us and board intelligence to come help him get more out of mm. his board. And it, you know, he very kindly let us get a few slides in before he said, I don't need a better board. Yeah. <laughs> he went on to say, if the important decisions in this business aren't made in the boardroom which for us as people who uh, I guess like many of your listeners are very much focused on helping mm -hmm. boards really operate well that's uh, that's quite something to swallow mm -hmm. uh, he really subscribes to what he calls upside down management so mm -hmm. helping every layer of management to really support those below them in the in the hierarchy their job is to empower the staff on the shop floor and so today our playbook which we built working with some of the world's most demanding boards is now mm -hmm. used from the boardroom to the shop floor so that at every level of an organisation, absolutely everyone has the tools, the skills and the confidence to use their brains and take mm. good decisions. And then we decided, let's write a book about this. Let's open source what we've learned. Mm. And uh, and that's what drove us to to write the book that we've uh, that we're releasing at the uh, very beginning of November, 9th of November. And it's called Collective Intelligence, How to Build a Business That is Smarter Than You. And it's really for any business leader who wants to tap into the combined brain power of their team, whether that's a chairman running a board, whether mm. it's a chief exec with their, with their leadership team, or whether it's a team lead at any mm. level of an organisation. Okay, that's really interesting. Um, I wonder though, we see a lot of organisations that are really successful that are led by these super smart CEOs, um, thinking of Apple or Amazon. So having what you might call a genius at the helm can't be a bad thing, can it? Yeah, it's a good challenge because the the opposite of collective intelligence, the opposite mm. of the thesis in our book would mm. probably go something like go hire a genius superstar chief mm. exec <laughs> and then just get out of the way so they can move fast and break things mm. and you know let them make all the big calls and mm. get everybody else in the organization just rowing behind them and doing as instructed. And you know the the fabulous new biography of Elon Musk that's just come out mm. from uh, Walter Isaacson. Uh, it, it really reignites this conversation around the superstar CEO mm. formula. And it's fanning the flames that this is the model to aspire to. But when you scratch the surface of most of the companies that are enduringly successful, they mm -hmm. look very different to how they look on the surface. So mm. you mentioned Apple and Amazon. Mm. We all know that they were both led and founded by extraordinary chief execs. Mm. But Steve Jobs didn't come up with the idea for the iPhone. And actually, he was he was firmly opposed to the cell phone mm. market and had to be persuaded by his colleagues that this was a good idea. Warren Buffett, another extraordinary individual, mm. he was dead against investing in Apple. He didn't like tech stocks, but one of his lieutenants insisted and Warren Buffett gave him the latitude to take that call it turned into the most successful ever investment mm. Jeff Bezos didn't come up with the idea for Amazon Prime which changed the way we shop mm. and I was chatting to a woman called 
Anne Hyatt, who worked with Jeff Bezos for many mm. years. She was his right hand man or right hand woman. She went on from working with Jeff Bezos to become chief of staff to Eric Schmidt at Google. So she knows right. a thing or two about these mm. extraordinary characters. And and she said to me over coffee, this was just a few months ago, she said, for sure, the confidence and the vision of these larger than life chief execs is incomparable, mm. but they also think hard about how to help others to think well. And mm. unquestionably, she said, this is why they've been as successful as they are. Because the truth is they don't have all of the answers. They yeah. can't be everywhere at once solving every mm. problem. And if they try to be, they create a massive bottleneck and their mm. organizations will move at a snail's pace. And in yeah. the end, excessive concentrations of power make you make you stupid. And history reminds mm. us of that time and time again, from mm. Icarus through to, well, you know, you pick the latest corporate scandal in the papers, <laughs> right? Yes, absolutely. Well, so how do you move from theory to practice? How do you go about building collective intelligence or a smarter business? Is it just about hiring more smart people or is it more about who and how you recruit? Sure. So to, to build a smart business, uh, like building a smart board, of, of course, you want to hire as well as you can. Mm. But um, I suppose going back to that, that earliest experience that, that Pippa and I both had when we really knew nothing, particularly mm. about boards, it's what you do with the people that you've hired that is that is just as important. And we would argue mm. probably more so. You can't just throw a group of great people, chuck them into a room and expect mm. great things to happen. It, it should, but it doesn't. Yeah. So then the question becomes, you know, what, what can you do to systematically tap into the combined brain power of mm. your people and to create the conditions for everybody to think well and think deeply? And what we set out in the book is the three critical capabilities that you need to build throughout your business and what the new habits and rituals are that you need to wrap around these three capabilities to, to, make, that, to make that real and to make that stick. So, so those three capabilities are critical thinking skills, the ability to communicate clearly, because obviously great thinking without great communication just withers on the vine. Mm. And thirdly, a shared focus on what matters most. Because again, you can't have you know, lots of great people doing all this great thinking if that energy isn't targeted mm. on the same same goal. When you get this right, this is how you create the conditions for people to use their brains and, and make it a habit. Interesting. So if we explore how you how you do this, um, you Said that these critical thinking skills are one of the three capabilities you need to build so how do you get everyone in an organization thinking more and better yeah so the playbook we've developed over the years is called the question driven insight principle mm. which uh, we shortened to the qdi principle mm. because questions are the catalyst to critical thinking we're right. we're question fanatics and you're <laughs> in, in a lot of what we talk about at board intelligence a lot of uh, what you'll find in our in our literature and everything we publish mm. questions are the, are the common theme mm. so they're the, they're the spark and the fuel of curiosity creativity and uh, there's a there's a lovely quote from Stephen Hawkins that uh, he says I am just a child who's never grown up and mm. I still keep asking these <laughs> how and why questions and occasionally mm. I I find an answer and we give an example in the book of uh you know how this can really play out in 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 a more commercial context so there's this fabulous uh, American football coach called Dwayne Douglas and mm. he is stood on the on the touchline watching his team as they kind of go into battle mm. and he's looking out there and he's he's watching them play and he, he suddenly has this this question pop into his mind and he he says to himself isn't it weird that during a game that players don't urinate more 
why is that? You know, even at half time, well, the toilets and locker rooms go strangely unused. Anyway, this this question was the start of it, and it went on to him uncovering the role of electrolytes in the body. This was before right. this was as well understood as it is today, and it ended up with him creating a new drink, which mm. he called Gatorade. His team were the Florida mm. Gators, right? And it opened up a multi-billion-dollar business and a whole mm. new segment called the energy drink market. But it all started with a with a really simple question. Mm. So to build collective intelligence and to build those critical thinking skills, we all need to get better at asking questions. And there's good news and bad. Good mm. news is that we are born questioners, right? Mm. We all start out life as anyone with small children knows, asking lots and lots and lots of questions. And there's a Harvard Business School study that says that apparently children between the age of about two and five will ask around 100 questions a day. But as we also know, and you hear know, with children, it, 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 that, <laughs> that atrophies, right? And it tails off the more we learn. Yeah. By the time we get into the workplace, we've lost that habit of asking questions and we're preoccupied with knowing the answers. Right. And not just any answers, right? But the answers at the back of the examiner's booklet, right? So, yes. you know, so what we what we set out in our book is, is how do you build back that habit of questioning and how do you create a mm. culture of questioning and like any new habit you know you, you can't just command it into being you can't just stand up at your town hall and or your your kickoff of the year and go right here on everyone's to think more and question more you've you've got yeah. to wrap it into into activities mm. that are scheduled and make that in, impossible to avoid and what the book sets out is how you weave this new behavior into these activities, whether it's preparing for board meetings, quarterly business reviews, requests for investment, all of these ready-made activities that are already scheduled, mm. how can we turn them from a bureaucratic time sink, as people often find them to be, and turn them instead into the place for deep critical thinking and questioning? And, and it's the how that we really spend most of the most of the word count in the book trying mm. to get across. So do you have any tips on those hows? You know, what, what are your recommendations for making sure that people ask, are asking questions? Sure, we do. So um, I mentioned our, our methodology is called the Question-Driven Insight Principle, QDI. And mm. uh, we recommend that organisations, I suppose, make this a little easier by building what we call QDI plays, which mm. are sets of starter questions that are really well suited to mm typical situations that management will find themselves in. So for instance, a, a, a QDI play around uh, a performance review would be as simple as, you know, what are we trying to achieve? What's working, what's not? Mm. What are we gonna do about it? What are we gonna stop doing, start doing, do differently? And what's mm. my level of confidence in delivering our goals? Incredibly simple questions, mm. right? But as we've learned, it is the simple questions that are the most powerful. It's the what, why, so what, now what? It's a, a big distraction, this idea that you're trying to hunt for the clever questions, the killer question. Yeah. And very often when you go down that line of thinking, that's using questions as a weapon or as some sort of, uh, uh, sort of kudos uh, hunting. Mm -hmm. When you're actually asking questions with the sincere intent to progress thinking, it's actually the simple mm -hmm. questions that are the powerful ones. I'd say it's the, it's the what, the why, the so what, the now what. And if you start to drill those questions into these set piece activities, mm. and let's say in particular in the preparation for them, the time that we spend in advance of a quarterly business review or a board meeting, 
really engaging deeply with those questions and challenging yourself as a member of the management team to get to the nub of the answer to those questions. Mm. That's how you start to build this this culture and normalize the idea that the first thing you do is not dive into sharing a bunch of stuff, all the data imaginable and chucking it in a document, but actually you spend the time first trying to get comfortable and clear on the critical questions that matter. And as I say, to make that easy, providing these starter questions, almost mm. like a starter culture for, a, for some bread or something, you know, is a really good way to make it easy for people to start to adopt the habit. Okay, that sounds really helpful. Um, and, and what else do leaders need to do to ensure effective communication within their businesses? Business is a team sport. It's mm. no good helping everyone in your organisation to think well and think deeply if that's not yeah. matched by an ability to communicate it well. Yeah. You know, you've got to get the thoughts out of your head in a way that others can both challenge them and improve them, but also fundamentally act on them. And I'll, I'll never forget the early days at uh, Board Intelligence doing what we do, opening up client board packs and finding that I couldn't make head nor tail of them. Mm. And of course, at the time, I just thought it was me, you know, not as smart as these people on these boards. And of course, they can understand it all just fine and just got to work harder, try harder. And, <laughs> and maybe one day I'll, I'll get there. But um, the nature of the work we do meant that we would then talk to these non-exec directors, these incredibly accomplished individuals. You know, many of them would, would confess the same. And they'd say things like, you know, well, frankly, it's just too long to be read. And if I do mm. read it, can't you know similarly it's it's really hard to to make sense of what they're trying to what they're trying to say and um mm. i've got a few quotes that stick in my mind um from some fabulous characters that we've encountered over the years uh working with uh, sir sandy crombie who uh, i think was once chief exec of a big life insurer he was at the mm. time non-exec on a big uh major retail bank and he pointed to his face and he said in this wonderful scottish accent he pointed <laughs> to his face and he said this is not the face of a very old man. This is just the face of a man who has plowed through 5,500 pages of ball papers. Over the mm. <laughs> and there's another, another non-exec who used the wonderfully vivid phrase of, you know, reading my board papers, it's like trying to drink water from a fire hose. He's <laughs> like, you know, I, I feel like I'm joining the middle of a conversation. And you're, again, yeah. your listeners will, will know this better than anyone. I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm preaching to convert it here, but, you know, uh, the way that ideas, updates, plans, proposals, the way they're communicated in business today is is pretty challenged. And mm. board packs are just one example of this. They're not the only things uh, that uh, get fed in business, but you know they are one example and it doesn't get better elsewhere. And there mm. is a reason for this. It's because the, the tenets of good communication that we all learn at school and that are often reinforced in the workplace mm. are simply wrong. And so what we explain in the book is we brought it down to five conventions, five mm. conventions that we consign to the bin and <laughs> replace them with something that, that works. So, so to fix this, basically, you need to unlearn what you thought you knew about how to communicate clearly. Right. Um, so tell us a bit more about what we need to unlearn then. Tell us a bit more about those conventions. The convention would be that serious subjects demand formal writing. Okay. We put that in the bin and we replace it with write like a human being, no matter what you're writing about. So there's a, a if anyone who's familiar with Dame Mary Beard, who's a classical historian, mm. she, um, and she's you know, fabulously strong communicator. She she said mm. that in the early part of her career, she um, quoting her, she said that uh, she thought formality was the stamp of authority. But then she had an epiphany when she asked a friend to read through something she'd written. And this friend said to her, you know, this is probably right, but it's boring. Mm. And that for her was this big awakening. <laughs> and, um, you know, and again, she was a product of a really successful academic career. Mm. But study after study shows that 
long words where a short one would have done yes. actually make a sound stupid. And there's another problem with excessively dry formal prose, mm. quite apart from it being just hard work, is that you know, lots of use of the third person phrases like it was reported that and the mm. passive tense. Mm. It, it's it's puts distance between you and your message and it mm. implies a lack of accountability. So the sales targets were missed instead of we missed our sales targets. On the one hand, you know, yes, the you know, dry, impersonal tone is, is hard and to get through. It's, it's hard to read, yeah. read like it was written by a robot. But far more importantly, you're not displaying the accountability and the leadership traits that your reader is looking for. So whatever your message, whether it's good or bad, own it use your voice and that's how you'll get your reader rooting for you interesting interesting the ideas that um you know trying to to um throw away what you've you received as wisdom and, and start afresh but um yeah. it's it makes perfect sense um and you finish your book on this topic of um collective intelligence with a chapter that's called when it all goes wrong um so you're throwing a bit of a fly in the ointment right at the end there so what can we learn from that <clears throat> yeah so the central thesis of the book is that if you can get everyone in your business to think well if you can help them communicate that thinking clearly so others can act on it and if you keep all this thinking focused on what matters most so it's directed mm. towards a common cause great things will follow right yeah and this is i i think and i, I hope it sounds coherent and it's also true and you know, the book, most importantly, doesn't just make the case for this, it, it shows you how to do it. But real life is mm. often much messier. Real mm. life just serves up in inconvenient number of examples of where great thinking, clear communication, and focus on what matters most leads nowhere. Mm. Counter to like what, what you know, counter to the logic that underpins the theory, it just doesn't always it just doesn't always work. No. And we, we, we tackle this in the book, we tackle it at the end. And um, we give an example of, uh, I mean, there are, there are countless examples actually in, in real life, but in particular, we share the example of Harry Markopoulos. He mm. was a fund manager. He was under pressure to match the performance of this other fund out there mm. run by some guy called Bernie Madoff. <laughs> and uh, his boss was saying to him, look, this Bernie guy is really knocking out of the park. What's the matter with you? You're just not, you know, he's just not cutting it. So, you know, he, did what his boss wanted. He took a look at Madoff's fund and mm. a look at his returns. And to quote Harry Markopoulos, he said, it took me five minutes to know it was a fraud. It took mm. me another almost four hours of mathematical modelling to prove that it was a fraud. Yeah. He wrote all of this up as a crisp 21-page memo and he gave it a title, the world's biggest hedge fund is a fraud. And he sent this mm. off to the SEC. Mm -hmm. So, you know, critical thinking, tick. Clear communication, tick. Mm. Focused on something that matters, tick. You know, he's fulfilling everything that we that we advocate, right? Mm. But did it work? No. no. <laughs> <laughs> because the people he shared it with, the SEC, they just couldn't let go of their strongly held belief that Bernie was clean, that he was a good guy. He was yeah. establishment. This couldn't possibly be a fraud. And it was a long time later before, you know, the truth the truth came out. And all the evidence in the world at that time wasn't going to change their minds. I mean, again, we see this the world over, right? Again, we can all point to groups of people who just are not listening. So our point here is that collective intelligence won't work in, in pockets. Mm. Critical thinking and the ability to question everything you know, it needs to be the lifeblood of your whole organization. Mm. Because if good thinking, well communicated, 
falls on deaf ears, mm. you're not going to get very far. So I suppose our, our point here is that the, the principles that we are proposing here, you know, to really thrive, you need to apply this from top to bottom. That doesn't mean you shouldn't try. You know, if, you're, if you're a team lead, you can get your team humming absolutely through the application of these principles. Mm. But I suppose to really make a difference, you need those principles to then be, you know, I suppose you want to showcase them and celebrate them to the others in your organization so that where you need ideas to travel across mm. different parts of the business, they are open to hearing what you have to say. Okay, that's that's really interesting. And, and so what's the governance professional's role in making that happen? So we would define governance as the discipline of a well-run company. Mm. And if you think about it in this way, then everything I've spoken about goes right to the heart of the role of the governance professional. But not every governance professional, in truth, has that mandate. Not every governance professional is going to be uh, empowered to wander across the organisation, dictating how weekly, monthly habits rituals are performed um Mm. so if your mandate in practical terms is more rooted in what goes on at the top in the boardroom you're still perfectly positioned to get things moving because a a great Mm. place to start is with the board papers and applying Mm. all of our principles to the way management prepares their reports for the board and Mm. if you start here of course you you also tackle a typical bugbear of most boardrooms, things like too mm. much information, not the right information. Mm-hmm. But you also set a perfect example to the rest of the organisation. And of course, you have the opportunity to win over each member of the C-suite who is part of the process of contributing to the board papers. And if you can win them over, in turn, they can start to cascade these same principles down to their teams. Mm. And so why should collective intelligence be a priority for organisations right now when there's so many other challenges that we're all grappling with? Yeah, good question. There's a lot going on in the world right now and lots of lots of competing initiatives and priorities. Um, and, that, and that's actually part of it. So, you know, why why do you need to do this? Well, first of all, because to win in today's world, you have to be fast moving, which means you've got to tackle the bottlenecks. And you can't afford for your board <clears throat> to be unable to take a decision because they don't have the right information. Mm-hmm. And you can't afford to be bottlenecked by the type of structure that requires all the important decisions to go up to the board in the first place. Mm-hmm. You know, in this day and age, it's the it's the fast that eat the slow, not the big that eat the small. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so, you know, there are just too many decisions for everything to have to go up to the board. You need to put in place the skills, the processes so that everyone in an organization has the confidence and the capability to take decisions well. Mm. And so that those at the top have the confidence to let out some rope and empower others to take important decisions. So first off, it's about, as say, tackling the bottlenecks, making it quicker and easier for the board to take decisions and mm. empowering more below the board to take decisions. But secondly, it's because it's just such a monumental waste not to tap into your employees' skills and mm, insights. Absolutely. And in a hyper-competitive world, you know, who can afford who can afford waste? Waste is not a winner. You know, so as long as there's thinking that only humans can and should do, it's down to leaders like your listeners to help them do it and do it better. Mm. Absolutely. Um, I think it taps in as well to some of the themes that we're we're working with now. As we recover from the COVID pandemic, you talked about quick decision making, and that makes me think of um, quick decision making that was needed during the pandemic when we were thrown into such a state of flux and boards mm-hmm. needed to make quick decisions. And the understanding of the importance of the workforce that we've developed um, since COVID in particular, like you said, harnessing the capability of all of the workforce to make great decisions. 
Um, it's been so interesting to speak to you today about this idea of how a business can harness the capabilities of everyone in the organisation through this good decision making through the organisation and understanding that decisions are made on the front line, like you said, as well as in the boardroom and how that can maximise their business's potential and move away from the idea of relying on a superstar CEO to to find a different way of leading organisations in these challenging times. Um, and it's been great to hear how our audience can help to put the theory of collective intelligence into practice through understanding some of those core tenets of the approach that you've outlined today. Um, thank, you. thank you so much for joining us today, Jen. It's been really insightful. Thank you. And if anyone would like to buy a copy of the book, it's out on the 9th of November, available at Amazon and all good bookstores. So uh, very much hope that your members will enjoy reading the book and, uh, and get in touch with us with any thoughts or questions that it sparks. Fantastic. Uh, well, thank you for that. Thank you very much, Jennifer. Thank you. Engage Governance. Look out for more podcasts coming soon. We would like to thank our sponsors and experts for supporting the launch of the Engage Governance podcast series. To access more podcasts and other useful governance tools, like our guidance notes, blogs and articles, please visit www.cgi.org.uk.